The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That prophecy of Ezekiel has become reality in our generation. The story of Israel is part of the ministry of the Jerusalem Channel. On this historic 70th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel, please consider making a special gift to continue our media ministry through our website, the Jerusalem Channel app, or by mail. Many people spend years saving, investing, and planning with great anticipation to the time when they can finally retire, travel, and do all the things that interest them most. But is the concept of retirement in the Bible? Is it a principle in the kingdom of God to cease from our labors? Or should we be productive for God in all stages of our lives? Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Well, it was the famous American military general, Douglas MacArthur, who said in his farewell speech to Congress, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. That may be true in the secular world, but the tenor of scripture concerning the lifespan of a spiritual warrior is not a fading away or riding off into the sunset but it's a continual fight of the good fight, like Paul waged spiritual warfare until we're either martyred for the faith or taken home to glory by God. We may rightly retire from secular work, but our service to the Lord and in the prayer warfare has no boundaries for age. Some church denominations and parachurch organizations require their ministerial staff to retire at age 65. For example, in the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Paul VI introduced a mandatory retirement age of 70 for priests and 75 for bishops and archbishops. But there's no mandatory retirement age for the Pope or cardinals. They hold their positions for life. One source I read said that Anglican clergy have a mandatory retirement age of 65 for priests and 70 for bishops and archbishops. Granted, physical infirmities may restrict service, but infirmities are no conclusive reason for retiring from the work of God. The truth is there's no real retirement in God's kingdom. Ideally, we should be useful and fulfilled in God's work throughout our life. I like the fact that in Middle Eastern and Asian cultures, the elderly are revered and their life experiences are valued. The elderly continue to occupy roles of influence and leadership 
right up to their death. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 92 today. It declares that the uncompromisingly righteous are like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God. They'll still bear fruit, it says, in old age. They'll stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He's my rock. There is no wickedness in him. Palm trees are some of my favorite things. And Gill's exposition of the Bible noted that contrary to other trees, the date palm doesn't stop bearing fruit when it's old. And it's the same with the righteous. The fruit bearing just continues and continues. When exploring the message of divine health, I often meditate in the Torah on Deuteronomy 34.7, a verse about the great hero of the Hebrew scriptures, Moses. It says that Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. I looked up the literal Hebrew, and it says, his freshness hadn't fled from him. In other words, he still enjoyed a rigorous mind and strength of body. His intellectual capacities, his memory and judgment weren't decayed, and his body wasn't feeble. The verse may be rendered, his moisture was not fled. He didn't look all withered and dried up. At 120, Moses was still a mountain climber. The record says he climbed Mount Nebo to survey the promised land before he died. The vigor and vitality of Moses was, let's face it, supernatural. But the commentaries say that for believers, the supernatural shouldn't be considered unreasonable. Supernatural preservation and divine health are aspects of the gospel that we may lay hold of by faith. You see, old age is not the natural season for fruit, yet when it happens, it's not only supernatural, it's the grace of God. Just as in the fruit world, the palm tree is exceptional. As far as we human beings are concerned, outwardly we're perishing, the Bible says. The law of sin, the law of thermodynamics, whatever you want to call it, sets in. People begin to get forgetful have senior moments, but then we'll meet a palm tree of a person, a useful man or woman of God who seems ageless, who continues to do exploits, who builds and travels and preaches to vast crowds. And that requires a colossal amount of energy, believe me. This kind of life of faith is ours for the believing. And the life of Moses can be divided into three equal periods. Forty years living in Pharaoh's court, forty years in hiding in Midian, and forty in the leadership of Israel in the wilderness. Moses lived past the lifespan that he wrote about in Psalm 90 in verse 10, where he said that we live threescore years and ten, that's seventy years, or if by reason of strength, fourscore, eighty years, for they quickly pass and we fly away. 
Well, here, uh, many times we've visited the Shrine of Moses near Jericho that's revered by Muslims as the Tomb of Moses. The shrine is called Nabi Musa, set in an extraordinary scene of desert beauty. It's a spectacular sight, especially when a biblical-style shepherd wanders in front of your camera. But the location of Nabi Musa doesn't dovetail with the biblical account. Deuteronomy 34, 6 is an extraordinary verse in the Bible because it informs us that the Lord himself buried Moses in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor. And no one knows it says where his grave is to this day. This concealment seems to have been due to the wisdom of providence to prevent the tomb of Moses from being ranked among holy places and made the resort of superstitious pilgrims or idolatrous veneration. The rabbinic sages had a lot to say about the burial of Moses. For example, the Jewish commentator Ben Gershon suggested the reason why the grave of Moses was kept a secret was that succeeding generations should make a god of him and worship him. And according to Eben Ezra, one of the most distinguished Jewish philosophers and commentators on the Bible in the Middle Ages, Moses must have buried himself by going into a cave on the top of the mount where he died. And so where he died was his grave. But although the text says he died on the mount, he was buried in a valley. Other Jewish writers say the Lord buried him by the ministry of angels, presumably by Michael, as mentioned in the New Testament in Jude 1.9. Now to be buried by God himself, as the text clearly informs us, and not by human hands, is a singular honor that's afforded only to Moses in the Bible. Like some of the commentaries I study this week, I've come to believe that the contention over the body of Moses between the angel Michael and the devil alluded to in Jude 1.9 was a struggle for his corpse because Moses was to be raised from the dead and translated to heaven. And so Satan resisted the resurrection of Moses. Where or when this context took place, whether it was on Mount Nebo or in the valley, we can't determine, of course. But this we do know from Matthew 17 in the Gospels that Moses must have been translated to glory because Moses appeared in glory along with the prophet Elijah who was raptured to heaven and they appeared together, both Moses and Elijah, on the holy mount of transfiguration along with Jesus. And the New Testament records this appearance of both Moses and Elijah with Jesus and with no visible distinctions between the bodies of Moses and Elijah. They both were very much alive. Moses represented the law and Elijah the prophets, and they conversed during the Lord's transfiguration and prophesied about Jesus' exodus from the earth during his soon coming death, which would be at Passover. At the transfiguration, Moses had finally stepped into the Holy Land and he wasn't a disembodied spirit. Bearing in mind the appearance of Moses at the Transfiguration and what's said by Jude 1.9 about Satan contending for his body, 
we may conjecture that Moses, after death, passed into the same state along with the translated saints, Enoch and Elijah, and that his grave couldn't be found because Moses was shortly translated, transported from it. Now, I want to emphasize again that Moses' health was supernatural, but the supernatural is not to be considered off limits, especially by believers. We press into God for all of his promises in this book. How terrible it will be if when we reach heaven, God wipes away our tears and says, you could have believed me for so much more, but you limited your faith on earth to a very low level. Most people who live to a hundred or beyond develop a lot of infirmities, yet by miraculous preservation of God, to support the great cause given to Moses, it appears the full vigor of all of his faculties, both body and mind, was preserved to his dying hour. This teaches us that if we have a great work to do for God, as many missionaries and great men and women of God have done, why not believe God for the strength and mental faculties? For example, I'm amazed at the preservation of the Apostle Paul, despite all the beatings, stonings, floggings, shipwrecks, and imprisonments that he endured. In the little epistle of Philemon 1.9, Paul refers to himself as an old man. Yet we know at this time in his life, he was busy writing letters to the various churches. While under duress in prison, yet his mind was sharp. His body held up by the grace of God in prison and as he was traveling and encouraging churches whenever he was released from prisons. He certainly had no access to the vitamin shop, yet there was no decay in the strength of his body nor in the vigor and activity of his mind. His comprehension was as clear and his memory as strong as ever. The commentaries say that was the reward of his services, the effect of his extraordinary meekness and so forth. By God's miraculous keeping power, we have to believe his promises that we also will bear fruit in our older decades. Now back to Psalm 92, which compares the righteous palm trees and evergreens. Verse 10 is one of my very favorite verses. It declares, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. And what is this oil? It's undoubtedly a type of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is sacred oil. And in David's day, the tabernacle and all its furniture were sanctified by it. But it also speaks of the Holy Spirit as in Luke 4:18, where Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And the same sentiment is expressed by Peter when he said in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Well, King David 
shows us that he experienced multiple anointings in his life, and we can too. He was anointed by degrees, then publicly by the men of Judah as king over them. He was anointed afresh by all the tribes of Israel as their king. Oil simply signifies the Spirit of God, his gifts, his graces, and fresh oil suggests ever new supplies of his grace out of the fullness of it in Messiah. In fact, the fountain of youth, the secret of perpetual youth is to be found in the Lord's anointing in its freshness in him alone in whom all things become new. Well, the prophets, priests, and kings in the Bible were consecrated into their noble offices by holy oil. And when the Holy Spirit anoints us, we're made kings and priests unto God. This is what the New Testament teaches based upon the Hebrew scriptures. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is invigorating, empowering. The oil of the Holy Spirit gives us unction for all we have to accomplish or endure. The church's need in this hour is for power and vitality, freshness. All human strength will fail to win a single soul if the power of the Holy Spirit is missing. I also want to say that the oil of the Holy Spirit is the oil of joy. I mustn't ever forget that. God wants us to be glad. Hebrews 1.9 declares, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. They say a, a joyful face is a sermon within itself. And when we have true gladness of heart, the joy of the Lord, declares Nehemiah 8.10, is our strength. Strength shining out of us, a testimony to the presence of the Holy Spirit within. Well, now, when considering how we may be useful to God in all stages and levels of our lives, the Bible does warn us and teach us to remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. That comes from Ecclesiastes 12.1 and Amplified reads like this. Remember thoughtfully also your creator in the days of your youth, for you're not your own, but his. And remember him before the evil day comes or the years draw near when you will say of the physical pleasures of life, I have no enjoyment and delight in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened by impaired vision and so forth. Yes, earnestly remember your creator before the silver cord of life is broken. Well, we earnestly desire for young people to remember God in their youth and to serve him early. Yet sadly, Western society is kowtowing to a youth-oriented culture and the experience and wisdom of the elderly is not duly respected. And that's dangerous. Our society is just too quick to put the elderly out to pasture. So I'm praying for the pendulum to swing back. Let's take a few moments to consider how God entrusted sacred truths and missions to people in their so-called golden years. Of course, Abraham and Sarah are prime examples of two who bore fruit, children even in their old age. For with God, nothing shall be impossible, right? 
And now let's look again, not only at Moses, but at his brother Aaron. Both were chosen to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt in their 80s. Exodus 7-7 informs us that Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses' older sister Miriam was also part of the nation's leadership. Psalm 90, written by Moses, observed that for most people our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, but Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were drafted into God's service when they were already past the normal lifespan. Think about that. It was the same for Moses' successor, Joshua, and for Joshua's comrade-in-arms, Caleb. Both of them had a different spirit, a willing spirit, and because they had believed God and given a good report of the promised land, they were given charge of leading the conquest of Canaan 40 years later. This happened during the last 30 years of Joshua's life. He lived until he was 110, and Caleb was very much involved in the conquest of Canaan under Joshua's leadership when he was 85 years old by that time. We read in Joshua chapter 14, Caleb said, I'm 85 years old today, and I'm still as strong now as I was in the day that Moses sent me to spy out this land 40 years ago. He said, as my strength was then, so it is now to wage warfare and for going out and coming in. So now give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard about the giants that are there and you heard about their great fortified cities, but I am able to drive them out just as the Lord has spoken. And he did at age 85. That's supernatural, but it's also still obtainable by faith. Consider also the prophet Daniel. He served God from the days of his youth for over 70 years. Daniel was well over 80 years old when he served as one of three governors over the kingdom of Babylon and when he survived the ordeal in the lion's den. Daniel prospered in the reigns of Darius and Cyrus the Persian, and he continued to receive a series of the most important visions and revelations about God's timeline and the coming of Messiah. And over in the New Testament, the elderly married couple, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, were the parents of John the Baptist, who, according to Jesus, was the greatest man who ever lived. Both Zachariah and Elizabeth are described in Luke 1-7 as well advanced in years. Yet, Zechariah was still serving God in the temple, and she gave birth to John. And don't forget the prophet Simeon and the prophetess Anna in Luke chapter 2, who both bore witness to Messiah when the infant Jesus was presented to the temple to be circumcised, and they both were very elderly. Anna was at least 84, but she was still serving God with fastings and prayers night and day. But now you may ask, what about us today? We must also be useful to God to the end. A minister bemoaned the fact that many seem to retire from active service in the church at about the same time that they retire from secular work at around age 65, which is rather young compared to the examples that we've mentioned in the Bible. 
just when they might be useful to the Lord, they're retiring. But the minister said, there's always a real need for godly elders who are capable of teaching and nurturing the flock, capable of serving as overseers and examples to the next generation. The minister suggested that if the older people feel that they're unqualified to serve, why not spend a few years growing and developing necessary qualifications? If young ministers prepare themselves in just a couple of years to preach, why can't older men and women do the same? There's always in the ministry a need for older men and women because they're wiser and also more financially stable. They oftentimes have the means to serve the Lord and to go places for Him. Paul said the older women should be teaching the younger women how to love their husbands and children and how to be good wives and homemakers. But sadly, many women also stop teaching when they reach the age when they're actually commanded to teach in the Bible. If you don't feel qualified to teach, just prepare yourself. Commit yourselves to study and learning God's Word. And there's so many resources and study guides available. Sooner than you think, you can be prepared to step out as God leads. And certainly, physical infirmities may limit what some people can do, but only death can stop us from serving God in our generation. People with limited mobility can do all sorts of things. They can make phone calls, write letters and cards, spend time in prayer for others. Well, I sincerely hope and pray that this study today of Moses and how his eyesight wasn't dimmed and his youthful freshness wasn't faded and other examples we've mentioned, that we can be encouraged to put our faith out, to believe God, to have our freshness revive. After all, Psalm 103 says that the Lord forgives all of our sins and he heals all of our diseases so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. It's because the Lord dwells in us that we stay young at heart and useful. When we repent of our sins and invite the Lord into our life to be the Lord of our life, he comes to us and lives in us and is formed in us the hope of glory. And he's never stale. He's forever fresh and young. That great Psalm, Psalm 110 declares, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of youth. You see, I'm talking about the important doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, He will always be a fountain of new life within us because Romans 8:11 promises. And if the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus from the dead lives in you, He who raised Messiah Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. So let the attitude of Paul, the aged warrior, be our attitude as well. He said resolutely, Brethren, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. So let's also have that mindset. Well, I hope you've been refreshed and encouraged today and that you invite the Lord into your life 
it's so vital that you do because he is the vine and then we are the branches and he will bear fruit through us as we simply become his hands and his feet in this needy world. Without him, we can't do any good thing, but with him, we can do exploits. And I want you to feel free to stay in contact through the social media or at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to belong to our Jerusalem Club and receive our weekly updates in color, exploits, magazines. And don't forget to download our Jerusalem Channel app. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom.